Hello, and welcome to Speaking of College of Charleston. I'm your host, Amy Stockwell, Director of Campus Communications, and today I'm talking to College of Charleston alum, Lee Jones Handel, who is the author of several books about the history of Charleston, including her latest, Storied and Scandalous Charleston, A History of Piracy and Prohibition, Rebellion and Revolution. I hope you enjoy our conversation. So my first question to jump right in is about Charleston's history. Um, it draws people from across the globe, making the holy city we all know one of the top travel destinations. As a licensed tour guide for more than 20 years and the owner of a tour company, Charleston Raconteurs, <laughs> if I say that right? It's French. <laughs> a, um, you have a wealth of knowledge about, obviously, Charleston history. So I'm wondering, what is your favorite story to tell? God, there's just no way in the world I could pick a favorite <laughs> story. Um, you know, the thing I relate to most personally are places. Um, I fall in love with places at first sight like other people fall in love with men at first sight. <laughs> um, and so different places speak to me, um, one of which I included in the book, and that is the site of the St. James Goose Creek Chapel of Ease. It's nothing but a little acre of woods with some headstones kind of buried around. Um, so you might think, you know, hardly something you might take a, a fancy photo of, and yet when my feet hit the ground there, I just totally relate to the stories of the people who are buried there. And that's, that's what I love, too, because these are not people whose names you've read about in the history books, and yet I kind of wonder why not. Mm. They're Revolutionary War heroes. Um, one of them, bless his heart, um, served to you know, travel to Europe trying to raise money and support for the revolution. Uh, he was injured uh, in the, the war in the, in the Siege of Savannah, and so he had to come home and recuperate, and you've never heard of him. Huh. But um, he was an incredible man. He's buried out there, and he's in the middle of the woods, and nobody knows he's there. <laughs> I, and I don't want to stop you on your but, – but why do you think? Do you have any thoughts about why people don't know? Well, honestly, you know, what we know about history – is not necessarily the absolute truth about everything. I mean, I think we find that out more and more every day. Yeah. Um, but we only know the history that has come down to us, uh, what has been written. And, um, of course, somebody who, who put down that information put it down with a perspective. Um, it's kind of like, you know, one question I ask my visitors um, when we talk about story and scandals, I'm like, especially if i got kids, it's like, okay, pirates, good guys or bad guys? You know, of course, everybody's like, oh, you know, they're the bad guys. And I'm like, well, let's go back and look at how privateering is what it was originally called. It was a very patriotic kind of job, if you will. Hmm. Um, you would be given a letter of mark from your country, say England, for example. And that meant that you could go out and uh, rob and sack uh, French and Spanish ships. Huh. And you were a hero. And that worked out great until 1718. And by so the 1718, um, the French and the Spanish weren't hanging out here anymore. It was pretty well established by then as, as an English colony. Um, before that, the Spanish really thought they, they owned the land, so there's always a little something going on, um, attack their ships. But um, by 1718, the French and the Spanish weren't 
sailing up here anymore. Mm-hmm. And so the guys who had been privateers had the option of you know coming in and getting kind of a nine to five desk job, I guess, <laughs> in town. And they're like, yeah, no, we don't want to do that. We like this thing where you you know capture a ship and take the booty and you know rape the way women. Way more fun. And, yeah, it's way more fun. Um, and so since they could no longer uh, a regular basis attack French and Spanish ships, they decided to attack the ships that they saw, which were English ships and ships from Charleston. And suddenly they're not the good guys anymore. Mm. They're, they go from being privateers to being pirates. Yeah, and so in, in your book you talk about some specific pirates mm-hmm. that have a lot of history here. Can you, you tell us about um, a little bit about sure. some of them? It was kind of funny when the uh, publisher uh, contacted me about doing this book um, it is part of a series. There are other storied and scandalous like Wisconsin and Kansas City. And uh, and two of the things they said they wanted were pirates and uh, the story of Lavinia Fisher. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, don't make me do that. <laughs> you know, I really like doing, um, I don't want to say serious history because that sounds no fun. I like, I like doing history as clearly and as accurately as possible mm-hmm. um which means dispelling a lot of myths and and um i was like okay pirates guy you know i really don't do the pirate thing that's that's kind of not my my stick um but i picked two pirates because um there are records surviving of their trials one is uh ann bonnie charleston's famous uh charleston woman pirate um we don't know anything about Anne Bonny you know if you if you go on kind of the tour that tells the whole story I mean 90 percent of it is myth we don't even know for sure if Anne Bonny lived here but but there was an Anne Bonny and she was a female pirate and um the transcripts of her trial exist and she was a pretty bad woman (laughs) (laughs) she and and well, she had a number of love interests. Um, she had diverse love interests. She, she, yeah. And and she was like, she could, according to the um, trial transcript, one person's like, she's coming out and she's got a, a saber in one hand and a pistol in the other. And so, you know, Anne Bonnie, the only thing we know are what the witnesses said and the fact that um, the governor of Jamaica, I hope I remember that right. I don't think it was Antigua. I think it was Jamaica, uh, did run an ad in... Um, American East Coast uh, newspaper uh, saying she was among the most wanted. So I took what the trial transcript said of Anne Bonnie and I retold her kind of fanciful mythical story from a a more documentable, let's say Mm -hmm. that, documentable, it's not quite as judgmental, a documentable perspective and found that she was fascinating and I, you know, the the rest of the myth I didn't really need. Um, We don't know what happened to Anne? Uh, she was tried and convicted along with her friend Mary. Uh, they both uh, they were sentenced to death for their pirate crimes, um, and they both went to prison. But they both pleaded their case because you can't execute a pregnant woman, and they were mm. both pregnant. Oh wow! Um, and we know that Mary died in prison about the time she would have delivered. So she maybe died in childbirth or died afterwards. We know that Anne Bonnie went into that prison, and then we never hear from her again. Mm. And so that's, again, where a lot of, of uh, stories arise without much documentation. But, right. um, you know, who, who knows what happened to Anne Bonnie? But Anne Bonnie was a kick-butt pirate. <laughs> <laughs> no prisoners. Take no prisoners. So, so um, 
Yeah, I'm just thinking, you you say, you have said to me that the truth of Charleston itself Mm -hmm. is interesting enough. It really doesn't need any embellishment. The stories are there if you look hard enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess you've already answered this question, but but have there been any particularly stories that are like so obviously embellished? Oh yeah, and and Bonnie certainly yeah. one. Lavinia Fisher is another, um, and that's why when they were interested in Lavinia, I'm like, oh god, that story's been told so many times. I you know I don't want to, I don't want, I'm above that. <laughs> little snobbishness there it's like oh, I don't want to tell that old story again um, but there are records existing from Lavinia and uh, you know the the really good juicy stories have things like she would crush men's heads between her knees mm-hmm. as they tried to you know make love to her and uh, let's see another one was they flip the bed over in the middle of the night and the guys that they were robbing uh, would fall onto the stakes that were underneath the bed and a trap door. Wow. Um, none of that is true. The only thing they actually found when the posse that went after um, Lavinia and her husband John, who was so shortchanged, John was a really great guy for a, a highway robber, but um, <laughs> he never gets his due. It's all about Lavinia. But um, Lavinia was a like Anne. She was a bad chick. Uh, just just based on the facts, um, when um, they were attacking uh, the one person left behind, and, and again, this is all witness stories. Um, she, uh, the, the man they were beating up looked to her, you know, hoping as a woman she would be sweet and, you know, say, don't, don't bash his head in. And instead, you know, she grabbed his head and bashed it. Um, <laughs> so uh, she didn't crush any, anybody between her knees, but she, she did participate uh, with the men in beating up this, this poor guy that they had. Um, uh, so, you know, the for me, her, because the stories that you hear popularly are all about what a bad woman she was up to her arrest. And, and other than the fact that she was there and arrested, we really don't know anything about Lavinia. She, she just doesn't show up in the historic record uh, that I've found. Um, but you don't, in the popular story, hear about what happens after she gets arrested. And that's good stuff. Mm. She's held in the district jail. Uh, where I used to have an office. <laughs> the old kinda, jail downtown. Yeah, the old jail downtown. That was really cool. Uh, loved working there. Um, didn't stay after uh, work late too many nights. Mm. But, um, <laughs> At that, I have to ask. Yeah. Did you hear any noises ever or oh see any gosh. sights? Okay, I am I not. Have, I'm sorry, I have yeah, to ask. No, I'm not a ghost person. I'm, I, I don't tell ghost stories. Um, however, comma. <laughs> I'm just saying, again, I personally tend to relate to spaces, uh, places and buildings. And I think especially, it's like I can I can just relate to that place. I can feel stuff about that place. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the old jail, um, tens of thousands of people died there. People... I mean, it's not just the prisoners. That was originally a, a potter's field. It was um, a Civil War prison camp. Um, it was the jail, which was horrible. But then attached to the jail was the sugar house or the workhouse where enslaved people were sent to be punished. Um, and next to that was, let's see, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to call it an institution or maybe a hospital. Mm. Uh, and one of the things I learned is... Um, Back in that day, 
people who were born with disabilities, it may be uh, blindness or deaf or, or dumb or another physical ailment, um, too many times these people were put there mm-hmm. and uh, it wasn't a rehab kind of place. Um, and so you had the insane asylum there along with truly sick people, along with uh, people with disabilities. And this was not a nice place to be. Mm. And so when I think of, and, and it was also the execution ground. That's um, where most of the, not Lavinia, she, she was hung elsewhere, hanged elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Where, but uh, yeah, a lot of people, most people were hanged right behind the jail. And um, I mean, that ground just reeks of death. Wow. And that building just reeks of sorrow. Wow. Um, and I had a really huge office. In fact, it used to be, we think, uh, the office that I had used to be the um, jailer's family room, mm. um, <laughs> or maybe the children's bedroom. So I wasn't at least in one of the cells. Some of my colleagues. Can you imagine poor kids that had to live in there while it was a jail? Live and work. And that's the other thing. Um, the jailers at that particular facility, um, again, when you look at the records, that their reputations are pretty good. I mean, as far as, you know, killer jails went, they ran <laughs> pretty decently um but it was the jailer's wife who did all the cooking and cleaning and the kids had to help and took care of the sick and she was in charge of the women and there were a number of women in jail for all kind of things um and so it was a family affair and um I guess the jailer's names have been at least recorded in history, but you don't know any of the wives' names, and bless their hearts. And it's like, um, I love the story of uh, the Reverend uh, Jenkins um, and uh, the Jenkins Orphanage Band, uh, and that's also in the book, and that's, that's a great story. Um, I, can, I can actually read or tell that story over and over, but um, no one knows what his wife's name is. It was Lena. And he went out and, you know, did such a miraculous job of rescuing all of these little orphan children. But who do you think changed those diapers? I bet it wasn't Reverend Jenkins. <laughs> I, I got no historical basis for that, but I'm going to bet on Lena. <laughs> I'm going to bet you're right. Yeah, I'm going to bet Lena. But no one's heard of Lena Jenkins. Right. <laughs> so um, we really should tell the entire history from scratch of Charleston from the woman's perspective. That, that is that just, would be fascinating. Yes. Uh, if anybody is out there and you're a publisher and mm-hmm. you'd like me to write that for you, I work real cheap. <laughs> I would I would buy many copies of that book. Yeah, yeah. I love I love thinking of the stories from the woman's perspective. But I'd I'd love to to hear Lena's story about yeah. all those because they had up to five hundred children. Wow. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I know. But if you were a little um a little black orphan in Charleston um, it was the Jenkins or some corner somewhere. Yeah. Um, there was just no place for you to go, um, be fed and kept warm and all yeah. that kind of stuff. And uh, the Reverend Jenkins and Lena did that. Um, and not just did it, but did a, an amazing yeah. job. Yeah, it's amazing what they accomplished. Mm-hmm. I don't know how they did it. I really don't. Yeah. Um, and and it was um, uh, kind of a self. Uh, I guess you'd call it earned income program. The Reverend Jenkins, um, Daniel Jenkins, was obviously a man of faith. He was a minister at um, New Tabernacle Fourth Baptist Church, which is right up here um, in Ragsboro. But he found out pretty quick that people um, don't like to open their pocketbooks and give you money, even for a good cause. But he did find that the Citadel cadets were happy to donate discarded uniforms that they had outgrown or 
maybe damaged or something. And they also found that some of the wealthier people were happy to donate musical instruments that they no longer had an interest in or, again, had a den or something like that. And so he got the uh, Citadel uniforms and the donated musical instruments, and he told these little kids, he's like, you know, you got to make your way in the world. Um, you can't you can't stand around with your hat out. And so that's how the band got started. And they started playing on street corners here in Charleston. And um, after the performance, of course, the Reverend Jenkins would pass around the hat. Uh, and, you know, folks would put in because they'd had a good performance. And it was so popular, they started playing, you know, uh, neighboring states up and down the East Coast. And they ended up... Um, having a command performance for King George uh, wow. in England. Yeah, went went to Europe um, and had a command performance, um, and they marched in two presidential inaugural parades. I mean, talk about a story. That's, I know. That's unbelievable. I know. And, of course, you know the dance to Charleston, right? Yes. Yeah. That, you know, dun 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 dun. Okay, I'm not going to sing it for you, but, um, but yeah, the um, the dance, the Charleston, was named for. Uh, he had grown up by this time, but one of the little boys who had been in the Jenkins orphanage uh, went to New York to work as a longshoreman, and um, he uh, went to a um, a bar in Harlem after work. It's called the Jungle. And after a few drinks, um, you know, the crowd would say, oh, Charleston, do your dance, because he had that rich Charleston gullah brogue. So you, you knew where he was from. Mm-hmm. He was from here. Say, hey, Charleston, do your dance. Uh, and, of course, this was the little jitterbug, if that's the right, you know, dunk, dunk, dunk. Mm-hmm. Um, he would do that little dance. And uh, the guy who played the piano at that bar uh, wrote a couple of tunes for him uh, that went with his, his little staccato steps that he did. And long story short, the pianist took it to Off-Broadway and then Broadway and uh, a play called uh, Running Wild. The, he played it in, in that performance on Broadway, and the rest is, is you know, musical history. Wow. But, um, but, yeah, of course, New Orleans is critical to the development of, of, Charles, of the United States' native genre music, jazz. But, um, but Charleston's up there with New Orleans, too. Yeah. Um, and you know most of that is thanks to these little orphan kids. Yeah, yeah. So. I I um, have to ask you tie tie it back to your connection to the college. <laughs> you didn't you didn't major in history, did you? You majored in English. In English, yeah, That's but right. uh, yeah, eighteenth century literature. <laughs> That's a tough one on a resume. <laughs> Go shop that around. <laughs> So, but it's kind of interesting because, of course, now I, I talk about things from the 18th century. So, exactly. <laughs> who knows? I may be the only person who's actually used <laughs> that major. It <laughs> 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 made it worthwhile. But yeah, but I took enough history courses that had the college offered a minor at that time, mm. um, back in the Stone Age when I was here. <laughs> um, uh, I would have had enough history credits um, for a minor, but um, they, they didn't at the time. And, uh, I loved English, you know. I um, I loved writing since I was really Which serves little. you well today, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I, I've spent my career, you know, writing, you know, professionally because I'm in advancement, so, you know, mm. I, I write articles and proposals and things trying to um, win friends and money for my organization. <laughs> but uh, that's, of course, a very different kind of thing than this. And uh, I was obviously a late bloomer. Uh, in terms of writing, my first book came out in 2019, um, 
But first of all, no one had offered to pay me to do it. So that's right. <laughs> that's one thing. <laughs> and, you know, when I spent all day writing, you don't really want to go home at night and write. But um, now that I'm getting old and heading toward <laughs> retirement, um, you know, I'm only working my, my day job uh, part time. And so um, I'm able to, you know, use my free time to write about things like this that I enjoy. Um, and we are the fortunate ones that we get to <laughs> listen to them and read them ourselves. <laughs> well, but so where I, I want to make sure I cover this too. In between all of these things that mm-hmm. you're doing, mm-hmm. are you still giving tours? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't sleep much, Amy. Um, like I said I, I, I work, uh, you know, part time at the American College of the Building Arts which means I work full-time and get paid part-time. <laughs> I, I have my own tour company, Charleston Raconteurs, and yes, everyone's like, what's a raconteur? And a raconteur is a French term for someone who uh, is a storyteller, who likes to tell stories and uh, is witty. I, I hope I'm witty every now and then. <laughs> if you just want to tour downtown, um, there's a lot of people cheaper than me. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, I, what my, one of my favorite tours was a family uh, from New York. Um, a lady called, and she said she had married into the Izzard family. They had been in New York for three generations, and her, their kids were just getting out of college and empty nesters, and neither her husband nor her children had any appreciation for their past. It just wasn't a thing for them. She was into genealogy, so she, she knew enough to know that Izzard was an important name. So she called and said that for Christmas she wanted to bring her family down here and have me show them who they are. Mm. And, of course, Izzard is a significant name. And Charleston spell that history. name, just people listening. Is it I-Z-A-R-D? I-Z-A-R-D. Okay. Um, and so um, I put together a tour for them. I must have worked 100 hours putting that tour together. Um, I figured by the time I got paid, I made about a quarter an hour. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I took them. Um, to, to Charleston Southern University, which was the Izzard Plantation. Um, I took them out to um, a very private chapel uh, in the Goose Creek area that um, access is very limited to, but um, I knew someone on the vestry. <laughs> so, and, and in that church, they have one of two remaining existing hatchments. And uh, um, a, a hatchment is, um, shield it in the right word, but it's it's a big piece of wood, <laughs> like a, a symbol, a shield, and it has your coat of arms on it. And when the, in European tradition, when the patriarch of the family died, that would lead the procession. Somebody would be carrying oh. the hatchment okay. of that of that house, and then the hatchment passes down. And there's only two left in America, and that's in America. One of them. Wow. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah, that that's known of. One day someone will go in their attic and find another <laughs> one, but two known ones, and. Um, I took, one of the things I did for the vestry that let me in, I took a picture of the izzards around their hatchment. And, oh, um, very cool. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that was very cool. Um, and then I, I brought them downtown and took, showed them some of the houses where their families had either built or lived. And then I did my favorite thing, and that is to take them to a couple of graveyards and meet some dead people. Mm-hmm. Um, I, could, I could spend most of my day hanging out in graveyards uh i I like dead people (laughs) and i like to find out about them um because everybody has a story to tell that's right yeah you know what that's a a perfect thing to end on everybody has a story everybody has a story to tell thank you so much for coming (laughs) with us today sharing all of these wonderful stories we really appreciate it you're sure welcome thanks for having me 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Speaking of College of Charleston with today's guest, Lee Handel. For more episodes and to read stories about our guests, visit the College of Charleston's official news site, The College Today, at today.cfc.edu. You can also find this and past episodes on all major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a review. This episode was produced by me, Amy Stockwell from University Communications, with recording and sound engineering by Jesse Cunz from the Division of Information Technology. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.